Great. Great. Well, Happy New Year. I'm sorry that somebody, like, Simon, the year's half over now. Eh? I know, I'm sorry I wasn't here last year. I was at Milton Keynes with another church that's part of our family. We're bringing in a new leader into eldership, and I was there praying, speaking to them. So it's great to see people step up to leadership. So sorry I missed you last uh, week, but it's just great to be here. We are uh, launching into a new series on discipleship called Firm Foundations, looking at what does it mean to live this life as a believer? What are the foundations that we want to have in our lives, but what are the foundations we want to see in those of, of those that we're coming to see, uh, to, who are coming to faith in Christ? What, what does a firm foundation look like? What does discipleship, uh, and that word really means learning to live like Jesus, what does that look like? And so this is a subject, a thing that we're coming to again and again as a community as God gets us into our system. He's doing something new. I, I was in the Middle East, uh, many of you know I've got a passion for seeing Muslims come to faith in Christ. I was in the Middle East recently and uh, as I arrived this guy came running up to me and said um, through translation because they don't speak English and my yeah anyway uh, uh, he says um, Simon my wife and I have been praying for you every day I was really taken aback I was like there's not many people that could I mean Caroline do you pray for me every day I don't know if even Caroline prays for me every day so it's like my wife and I pray for you every day I was like I know I need it but why in particular do you, are you praying for me he said well do you remember last time that you came because he was the, there the year before and I hate it when people say that I was like do you, do you, remember, do you remember me and I was like uh, well, yeah, kind of. And he said, well, I was there, he said, and um, you brought a prophetic word. You said I was going to lead many people to faith in Christ. He said, did you realize I was a Muslim at the time? I was like, uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> he said, yeah. I said, and then I suddenly remembered it. I said, you were sitting so-and-so. He said, yeah, yeah, I was sitting there. He said, with my wife. I thought, so I thought your wife was a believer. He said, no, she wanted to be a believer, but I'd been so resistant. I wouldn't let her come to the meetings. But then I decided to let her come. So that's why we were there at the last meeting. And, um, and I, he said, at that meeting, my wife and I both gave our lives to Christ. It, it was amazing. So I was like, well, so I said, so I said, what's happened in the last year? He said, we have led 20 of my family to Jesus in the last year. Which made me, which made me very happy. <laughs> made me very happy and it, and it made me realize God is doing something new, not just with Muslims, but in our nation, in, in the nations, that people are opening their hearts to him in an unprecedented way. And it's so, so exciting to, to hear that. And so we are in this process of, of growing more in our ability and our depth of understanding what this means. And we're looking at the series, Firm Foundations. Let's just, just pray. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 2. And God, we just pray, will you land this deeper into our spirits? Will you do something today uh, to give us uh, and to strengthen our foundations? We recognize, God, you cannot build a house without solid foundations. And we want to build lives and a community built on firm foundations. We pray, help us as we go into this series, as we begin this new year in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to talk about grace today, and we're going to talk about the fact that without God, we are dead. Turn to your neighbor and say, without God, you are dead. It's slightly, it's slightly a depressing subject as we start, but I know many of you, many of you, and some of you may never have heard a subject of this sort, subject taught before, but many of you will have heard this before, so I wanted to just give you a little, uh, a little quick quiz, you know, those kind of quizzes that you see in magazines, uh, and this is one of the quizzes that I want you to, 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 to look at, is to start with this question, how do you know if you are not walking in the grace of God? How do you know if you're not walking in the grace of God? Here's a few little, little pointers to. Firstly, when you find yourself being judgmental, 
When you start to, not, not, not discerning right from wrong, we're called to do that, but when you start to feel a little bit like you're superior to people around you, when you start to feel like, actually, they, they, if you had been dealt their cards, you would do a better job than they were. When, when, you, when you start to find yourself feeling that judgmental, you know, when we find that, we're, we're walking out of the grace of God. When, when we find ourselves moaning, I know none of you do this, but when, when I find myself moaning, when I start to focus not on what God has done, but what he, what he hasn't done, and start to find myself complaining endlessly, you know, you've, you've, walked, you've started to walk out of, of the grace of God. When, when I can't celebrate, you know, when someone else gets a... a, a when I start to find that other people's success makes me more miserable... When I can't celebrate when other people get promoted and get success, I've started to, to slip away, really, from, from, the, from the grace of God. I'm not really walking in it. When, when you're ungrateful, when you come into worship and you think, do you know what, I can't think of anything to be thankful for. When you find yourself in that place, you've started to, to lose a grip of his grace. When you find yourself trying to please God, when it's almost like your Christian life is like an endless tick list of things that you've got to do to make God happy, and you wake up in the morning and think, oh, it's just exhausting. When you find yourself in that place, it might be a sign that you've started to slip away from understanding His grace. When, you, when you're in self-effort, when you, when you find yourself sinning, and then instead of pushing back into God's grace and receiving it afresh, instead you start to think, no, no, I'll just work harder. I'll just work harder and harder to stop that. When you get to that place, you may be a sign that you've uh, stepped away, started to lose grip of his grace. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, I don't relate to any of those. I hope you got something out of that list. It doesn't... <laughs> that's really... I'm, I'm all good. I might as well go have coffee now. Um... It's all good with me. I want us to look at this subject. Uh, and if you're, if you're not a Christian here today, this is going to be a brilliant series for you. It will give you the foundations of what we believe and who we believe God is and who we believe we are in Him. If you are a Christian, I want to invite you to go deep and to really get these things into your spirit so that we can make disciples who make disciples on firm foundations. Ephesians chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul starts with this. He says, you were dead. I was dead. We were dead without Christ. And, and, he's, and he says, you were dead in trespass and sin. And that word dead, theologically in the, in the Bible, means a number of different things. But firstly, it means we were separated. It means our sin had so rotted the core of us outside of Christ that we were separate from God. It's like we were spiritually dead to God. We were so alienated from him. I, I, I ate an apple once. I, I went to grab it from the fruit bowl, and it was this lovely, gorgeous red, you know, one of those ones that really shines. You can see your face in it, one of those. I grabbed this apple. I went to take a bite out of it, and as I did, I noticed my hand was wet and I thought I don't normally spray that much when I eat and I noticed my hand was wet and I turned the apple over and it was completely rotten and then you get that taste in your mouth you know what I'm feeling and I looked down at the bit that I just bitten and it was brown I was like oh 
This apple was rotten from the inside out. It had a glossy shine on one side, but really it was rotten to the core. And, and I always wondered, how did those little worms get in there? I think they crawl in from the outside. How did those guys get in there? But what I, I, I learned was that the fly basically lays an egg in the apple blossom. And then that blossom surrounds, uh, that, that seed then grows and becomes an apple. And then the worm, bing, wakes up. <laughs> Lunchtime. <laughs> and he eats his way out. Not, he doesn't come in from the outside. He eats his way out from the inside. And that's what Paul says we were like. Our hearts were rotten without God. We were separated so, so full of sin and trespass. And, and we have no spiritual life inside of ourselves, outside of God. We have no ability even to respond to God. The scriptures say even our faith is a gift of God. We've got no ability. We are dead in our sin. And later, Paul writes in the same letter, he says, those who, are, uh, who don't know God are excluded from the life of God. So dead means to be separated, and it means to be slaves. He says this, you are following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. He's saying everyone who doesn't know God in this way is literally following one another to oblivion. They're following one another away from God. They are slaves to this stuff. That's how we are without Christ. And I don't know about you, but when I was, when I was an atheist, I didn't feel like a slave. I, I, I would certainly, if you just said to me, Simon, you're a slave to sin, I would say, no, 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 sir. I am not a slave to sin. I enjoy sin. I can give it up at any point, but I just happen to really enjoy it. I enjoy all the stuff that I do. I enjoy getting drunk. I enjoy all of this stuff. I'm really happy with my sin. I am not a slave to sin. That's what I'd have said. And then I became a Christian, and I tried to stop sinning. And I suddenly realized... I can't. <laughs> I can't stop. I am addicted to this stuff. As much as I try, as much as I read the Bible, and it says don't get drunk, for example, I was like, I mean, I was at university at the time, and I would be like, right, I'm not going to drink tonight. I said, I'm not going to drink. I don't care what they say, I'm not going to drink. I would go back, I would come home that night, six, seven pints later, oh, Lord, have mercy. I'm not going to drink. No, and through pure self effort I could not get free. I was a slave to this stuff. I was a slave to peer pressure. I was a slave to everything that drove me to this stuff. But it was only when I called on God that I'd be able to get free from that slavery. And then, and then it says, among whom we all just once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. We were children outside of Christ. We are children, we are dead in the sense that we are under God's wrath. Rightly, justly so. You know, we deserve nothing of his mercy. I, I remember uh, uh, counselling a couple and uh, the husband, he committed horrendous sexual sin against his wife. And his response to me, she just needs to forgive me. That's what he said. She just needs to forgive me. And I thought, you're just a million miles away from God. You're a million miles away. I said, when you cannot do I said to him, you cannot demand forgiveness. You have no right to demand it. You do not deserve to be forgiven. If she forgives you, that will be her choice. But you cannot shake your fist at her and demand that she forgives you. There is just no way. And many of us approach God like that. We're like, you, you owe me something. You owe me forgiveness. You owe me. No, no, no. He owes us nothing. We are dead. Dead, dead, dead. Without God. That's how Paul starts. You're like, Simon, this is so depressing. <laughs> I mean, don't blame me. I didn't write this stuff. I tried to get someone else to do this sermon, but no one would do it. You, you and I are dead. You are dead, and I am dead without God. You know, sometimes, though, you have to hear how bad the bad news is before you can realize how good the good news is. 
It's when you realize, if we kind of try and pretend the bad news isn't quite so bad, then we miss out on something of the riches of the good news. It's when you realize how bad the bad news is, how dead we were, how lost in the cesspit of our own sin we were, that we can start to get a revelation on the goodness of the good news. And it is good. It is so good. But just quickly, why it's so critical for us to understand how dead we are without God. Firstly, if you don't believe you were separated from God by your sin then you will have no realisation of a need for a saviour. You may come along, you may look the same as everyone else, but deep down, you will think, do you know what, this is just about (laughs) self-improvement. These are nice people, and I too can be nice. I too can change myself into a nice person, just by doing what they do. And you'll start to copy, and you'll start to add some behaviour onto the outside, but fundamentally, your heart won't be, you'll be like that glossy apple. I know because I've been there. The, the shininess is all there on one side, but turn it over and there is rottenness. It's only when we realize how rotten we are, we then can call on a saviour and say, Jesus, help me! It's at that point when we realize we are hopeless in the cesspool of our own sin. And secondly, if you don't believe that sin was like a cesspool, if you don't realize how toxic it was, how much it was destroying you, eating you alive from the inside out, then what will happen is you'll go back to it you'll go back to it because things in the Christian life get tough and when they get tough what happens you go back to those old comforts those old things that suddenly seem a little bit glossier than they were when you left them when you left them you hated them but now when things got a bit tougher you go back to them so it's so critical as we start our discipleship that we realize we are dead 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 without God no hope I, I can't go on any longer without getting to the good news You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit at work, and the sons of disobedience, among whom we once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then the greatest word in the Bible, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. (gasps) For by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one can boast. You can hear Paul, he can't stop himself. It's like, it's like breaks all the laws of grammar. It's the longest sentence your English teacher will be, no, no, sentence, pause, full stop, semicolon. He's like, no, I can't be doing with that. It's by grace that we are saved. The richness of God's mercy. That's what he starts with, the richness of God's mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Whoa. Do you know what? I have to drink skimmed milk. (laughs) It is the most miserable stuff. Anyone else have to drink it for help? You know, you've been told you've got to... Oh, dear. I mean, it's just like white water, but worse. 
Oh, and I remember, whenever I drink it, it takes me back to those glorious moments of childhood when I'd pour my, my cornflakes into the bowl, my Kellogg's cornflakes, they don't make cornflakes for anyone else, and accept uh, no imitations, and I'd pour them into the bowl, and then I would take the bottle of milk, milk came in bottles in those days, and I would take the bottle and I would peel back the gold top. And I would look at the glorious cream. I mean, it was literally something, if you were lucky, you got half a bottle. You know, the, the machine wasn't where you got half a bottle. And you would tip the bottle. And it, but it wouldn't even stop moving till the bottle was like horizontal. It wouldn't move. It just wouldn't shift. And then suddenly, this whole glob of cream and milk would flow out onto turning your cornflakes, is there any goodness in them? Who knows? Into something glorious. And, and I just remember those moments. Oh, when I drink semi-skim milk. I remember those moments. The this is the richness of God's mercy. This is not some semi-skimmed mercy. This is the, the richness of God's mercy. Not the semi-skimmed version. The full fat version of His mercy. His kindness to us because of His great love for us. I mean, it's amazing. You know, Karl Barth, one of the most world's renowned theologians of his day, went to a university and, and they said, Dr. Barth, Dr. Barth, what's the greatest thing you've learned? What's the greatest thing you've learned? In all your studies and all your research, what's the greatest thing you've learned? And he said this, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. This has to come as a revelation. This is, we can get it up here, but we have to get it down here. This is where Paul starts. The richness of his mercy. I was in my cesspool of sin. And yet his rich mercy reached out to me. Not because I deserved it, but because he wanted to. There was a lady, she came forward to, for, to pray for someone else in ministry. I've told you this story before, but she came forward and there was that song, He Loves Us, Oh How He Loves Us, was playing. And she was praying for this lady intensely. He loves you, he loves you. And then suddenly she stopped, she's like, he loves me. He loves me. She's like, forget about you. He loves me. <laughs> she got it by revelation. It had been in here for years, but suddenly it went into her heart. No. His richness of his mercy. And Paul says, even when we were dead, he made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. We were completely dead. We were completely dead. We were completely separated. By grace, this word grace means his undeserved favor was on you when you were dead, when you were in that, in that worst moment. You know, sometimes I, I pray with people and I say, picture yourself in that worst moment, that worst moment of sin, that one when you were most rebellious, the one when you hated even yourself. Picture yourself in that moment and think in that moment God had rich mercy towards you. In that moment, he made you alive. In that moment, he didn't pick the nicer moments. He didn't wait for you to polish yourself up a bit. In that moment was the moment he chose you and said, that's the one I'm having. That's the moment that he picked you. You know, I'm, I never understood grace. I'd been in church all my life, never understood it. I'd got it up here, but I never understood it until I stole from a company I worked for. And then I had to, uh, knew that I had to tell them, I, com I, I confessed to the managing director what I'd done. And he said, Simon, this took a lot of courage for you to tell me. You need to know, you're free to go. We'll never talk about this again. And I walked out of the door, and I can remember to this day the door frame of his office. I've been through a lot of doors in my life. I don't remember many of them, but I remember this one. I remember it for the rest of my life because as I stepped through, I suddenly realized, that's grace. That's the grace of God. 
right there. You know, when you step through the doorway of grace, you kn- every other doorway looks secondary to you. <laughs> you suddenly realize, that's the grace of God on my life. You can never, ever forget it. He says, and he raised us up with him and seated us with Christ in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He did it. It doesn't take a lot of effort. from You know, the thief on the cross, he's got nothing left of his life. There's nothing left he can do. What does he do? He just says to Jesus, remember me. <laughs> remember me. Just two simple words. No sinner's prayer, no long convoluted thing, no Bible study plan, nothing. <laughs> he just says, remember me. Now, all those things may well be good and are fine, but, but we have to boil it down to the essentials, which is this, remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's grace. He was now united with Christ. And Paul's saying in some mysterious way, now you're united with Christ. You are where he is and he is where you are. It doesn't make sense. We don't understand it, but it's true. We don't get it, but spiritually we're united with, with So wherever I walk, he walks with me. Paul, Paul says, Jesus said, I'll never leave you or forsake you because he didn't want to. No, because he can't. Because he is now united with us. We're, he can't leave us or forsake us because he is with us for eternity. We are bound in him together in Christ. Wherever you go, he goes with you. He is never going to leave you in your darkest moment. He is there in the storm. He is there. He can't leave you or forsake you because you are in him. But also you... He is in you, but also you are in him, in Christ. He is in the arms of the Father. He is in the, 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 the intimate place with the Father, and you are in that same place, in Christ. Wow. I mean, I, again, I didn't get this. I didn't get this. I, I walked into a worship meeting one time. I've told you this story before. Uh, and, and I was walked in. There was a guy, with, a little a boy with cerebral palsy. And as he, uh, I sat down the road before, in front, and I, 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 during the worship, I turned around. His grandfather, as it turns out, had grabbed him in his arms. And this kid could do nothing. He had like drool pouring down his face. He could do nothing for himself. He would do nothing apart from a miracle for the rest of his life. But his grandfather picked him up. He had his head there. And he said, you, God loves you. I love you. You're a real special boy. God loves you. I love you. You're a real special boy. God loves you. Over and over and over he was saying this. And after about three or four minutes, I just snapped. <laughs> Something broke on the inside. As I realized how much of my Christian life was about performance and about effort and about trying to earn God's favor was really, I was already seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I was already in the arms of the Father. I was already there. This kid would do nothing to earn this love and yet he had the love of his grandfather and the love of his heavenly Father in that place. You and I are in that place. It's amazing, amazing truth. Why? Paul says, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Wow, God has picked you and I out to be kind to us forever. I don't know if you, if you guys ever listened to the Queen's speech, we're not brilliant at doing it as a family, we ought to do it better, but imagine at the end of it, she said, and another, this is my Queen impression, and another thing, <laughs> apologies to the royal family, and another thing, this year, 2015, I've chosen to be kind to Simon Holly of Bedford. I mean, you would have been on the phone like a shot when you were like, Simon, the Queen's picked you out, did you not hear? She's going to be kind to you this year. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? I'd be like, I know. (laughs) She has chosen me of all her subjects to be the favoured one. I don't normally speak like that, but if she had done that, I would speak like that. I would speak like that. But this is, this is better than that. This is saying God himself is going to be kind to you for all eternity. You can wake up every morning and say, God, I want to know your kindness today. 
And he wouldn't think that was arrogant or presumptuous. He would meet you in that place. Even sometimes in the storm, in the difficulties. Just say, God, I need to know your kindness today. And he will, he will find you in that place. He will find you in that place. For by grace you have been saved, Paul says. Not you will be, you have been saved. Not you will be, by grace you have been saved. You know, when they were building the, uh, the bridge across San Francisco, the Golden Gate Bridge, there was a number of, it was, the work was going so slowly because there were a number of casualties. People just fall off and then fall into the bay and be lost. And so the, everyone was so cautious about this whole thing. It was going so, so slowly. So the engineers were talking about how can we speed this thing up? And they decided at great expense to put a massive net under the whole section where they were working. And initially nothing improved, but then a few guys fell off and were caught in the net and were saved. And so suddenly everyone really got confidence and just were, then suddenly the, the work ploughed on at speed. Now think about this though, when were the guys saved? Were they saved when they fell? Well yes, in one sense they were saved when they fell, but when were they really saved? They were saved when the net got put in place. They just didn't know they needed saving. <laughs> they just didn't know they needed it, but when they fell, then suddenly they realised, but actually they were saved when the net was put in place. It's the same with you and I. Will we, when will we be saved? We'll be saved when we die. We'll be saved for all eternity from a, a life, eternal life separated from God when we die. But when were we really saved? When Christ died for us. We were saved at that point for all eternity. And Paul says it's through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not as a result of work, so that no one may boast. It's not a wage, it's not something God will pay you for your good works. You are saved by faith, simple faith. Remember me, simple faith. I heard a story uh, of a guy standing at the gates of heaven after he died, true story. And uh, he was there and there was an angel and the angel said to him, he said, um, to be admitted, you have to, you have to earn a thousand points while you're on earth. What have you done to earn them? And the guy's like, gosh, they, they, never, they never told me anything about that at church. That's awful. He said, but I, th I think I'll be all right. He said, okay. He said, I was raised in a Christian home. He said, I've always been part of the church. I've been to church every Sunday for my entire life. I read my Bible. I read my Bible, I think, every day. Yeah, I prayed every day. I probably led about 100 people to Christ during my life. And uh, he said, I was a leader in my church. And in fact, actually, I had a heart attack and died while I was preaching. And, and, and I had my last words were calling on people to give their lives to Christ. And he said, 15 people came to Jesus at my funeral. I've got three children. I've got two boys and a girl. He said, uh, my oldest boy is a pastor. The youngest leads a ministry to the poor. My daughter and her husband are missionaries into some remote tribe. And they've translated the Bible into four different languages. <laughs> He said, I gave well over 30% of my income to God's work across my entire life. I've worked with the poor in our city tirelessly, brought them into my own family. They've lived with us as we've turned their lives around. I've prayer walked the streets. Most nights I'm up three hours a night prayer walking the streets. That was what I've done. How am I doing? He said to the angel. The angel said, that's one point. <laughs> what else have you done? The man said, good Lord, help me. The angel said, that's, a good, that's good enough, you can get in. <laughs> It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's by grace we have been saved. How do we know when we've not been walking in the revelation of God's grace? When we get judgmental, when we think about others and think, if I'd been given their cards, I'd have, I'd have made better decisions than they have made. When we think about our parents and think, I'll raise my kids better than they raised me. When we get to that place, not, not discerning right from wrong, that's okay, but when we get to that place of 
of judging with that superior spirit, we're starting to walk away from our grip on God's grace. And it's at that point we need to turn around and say, God, forgive me. Because by your grace, if I'd been given their cards, I might have, I might have made worse decisions. If I'd have been given their cards, I probably would have made worse decisions. By your grace, anything I have done that's good has been by your grace. I want to keep my grip on your grace just as your grace has kept its grip on me. When we find ourselves moaning and complaining about what God hasn't done rather than what he has done, it's time to stop and remember, God, it's by your grace. Anything I have is by your grace. Anything you've done is by your grace. I don't deserve any of it but you've done it because of your rich mercy. You know, we're in the middle of a house kind of renovation thing, and when I find myself moaning, I've had to stop myself several times saying, there are many people who would love a house, like, even in the state that it's in right now, which is not, not great, granted. But even in this state, there are many people who'd love to have a house like this. God, it's by your grace. When we find ourselves that we can't celebrate, when others get success and we think, God, why have you blessed them and not me? It gets that place. We have to remember the grace of God has brought us into a family, that they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, and when they get a blessing, actually we get a blessing, because the whole family gets a blessing. It's by grace that God blesses. We don't earn it, we don't shake our fists for it. If he blesses one and not us, then we celebrate as if it were our blessing, because it is our blessing, because it's by grace. That's the kind of father it is. When we find ourselves in worship, and we think, God, I can't think of anything to thank you for today. At that point, remind yourself, it's by grace that I'm here. And even if he did nothing else for me for eternity, I will worship him. That's what Job said. Even if he slay me, I will worship him because he realized it's by grace that he was there. When we find ourselves trying to please, when we find ourselves slipping into fruitless self-effort, remind yourself it's by grace. When we find ourselves sinning, falling short of what we know God has called us to live but the grace that teaches us to say no Paul calls it so when we realise that we've missed that instead of just pushing into self-effort and saying I'm going to try harder God I'll never do this again promising I used to do all that stuff and you get on this cycle where you make a mess and then you're like God no I'm not going to do this again and then you don't for a while and you start to feel better and then the pressure starts to build and then you mess up again and then you just go round and round and round. You know, at any point you can get off. And when you've made a mess, you can say, God, if it weren't for your grace, I'd be doing this for the rest of my life. Thank you. And when you don't make a mess, you can say, God, if it weren't for you, I'm going to make a mess. Thank you. We can recognize the grace of God at any point on that circle and get off of that horrible merry-go-round by the grace of God. What's the good news? We were dead. Now we're alive in Christ. And it's all by grace. It's that simple. You're like, why didn't you say that at the beginning? We could have gone home early. <laughs> we were dead. Now we're alive in Christ. And it's all by grace. You cannot start a foundation on a, a, a discipleship on any other foundation. You've got to start on this place. We've got to ourselves live out of this place, train others to live out of this place, bring them into the same revelation. We were dead, now we're alive. It is by grace. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.